0: Rest in peace, Rebecca Balding.
1: This is it. Was a thing on TV? It's ladies and
2: gentlemen. I give you the Dregs of Humanity,
3: episode two ninety one, submission number nine six seven. Hotel. Oh, sorry. Hot L. Baltimore. Hot L. Baltimore aired on ABC from January 24th to April 25th of 1975 for 13 episodes.
4: The following program deals with mature subject matter. Parental judgment and discretion are advised.
1: get started you didn't miss here chico the name of the show is hot l baltimore it is hotel but the e in the word hotel and the neon sign doesn't really work that well so it is technically hot l baltimore and if you do research in different areas if you go to wikipedia or what have you it is called hot l baltimore you will not find anything under hotel baltimore that's the joke so don't write us letters. In 1973,
3: Lanford Wilson wrote and performed in a play called The Hot L Baltimore. Apparently the play was so good that Norman Lear, who by the way is celebrating a birthday this week.
1: Yeah. He'll turn 100 on
3: Wednesday. Yep. So Norman Lear in his genius snatched up the rights to make a sitcom off of this play and the plot is well it is norman lear at its heart steamy racy for the time and somewhat stilted on the absurd but the realistically absurd not the uh absurd like there's an alien on your shoulder named ozmodiar
1: And you actually heard in the open the uh, the little viewer advisory uh, warning from ABC. It was definitely not for the kids. Nope. Well, you know what? I think nowadays, and I'm not saying it's for the kids nowadays, but this wouldn't cause such a fury in 2022. But it's one of those things in 1975 where, yeah, we got to warn people to put the kids away and... Yeah, if you've got some heart issues, you may not want to watch this. If you've got certain moral or or religious beliefs, you may not want to watch this.
3: And if you have a string of pearls, you may want to start clutching them now. Yeah. But nowadays in 2022, you'd probably look at this and think, meh. But much like the Hot L Baltimore in the play, the Hot L Baltimore takes its reputation and its name from the fact that the E in hotel has burned out and has not been replaced. It was typical of the uh, hotels in Baltimore, built usually in the 1800s to the uh, jazz age.
1: But really, a lot of the controversy comes with who was in the hotel.
3: The guests or the staff. Why not both? The guests or the staff? The correct answer is yes.
1: You had two prostitutes who worked at the hotel. Oh, one of those prostitutes happened to be an illegal immigrant from Colombia. Oh, no. No. Uh, no, no, oh. no, 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 no. And then also you had one of the first gay couples on American television. So you had prostitutes and you had gays. And I can hear from here, Archie Bunker, Carol O'Connor, having a friggin' fit. Even though he's been dead for what, close to 30
4: years now.
3: So who populated the hot L Baltimore? Well, it was your standard assortment of colorful characters. Even more colorful made possible by the fact that they were developed by Norman Lear and sourced from a very cheeky play. Our hotel's desk clerk is played by James Cromwell, who, of course, you would know as, come on,
1: what don't you know him from? I mean, I think we got to start off with Babe. I think that's where he really made his name was Babe. And of course,
3: if you're like Greg and myself, you know him best as Zephram Cochran, in star trek first contact
0: like well, that and also for me that one wendy's commercial he was in i think i showed you that one wendy's commercial james Cromwell was in that one time
1: didn't i you, you shown it i've seen it yeah
0: yeah we'll just play it here
2: sir would you choose hamburger a a wendy's hamburger made with fresh beef or b made with beef that's been frozen hamburger b why looks like the chow we had in the marines was it good no it was terrible but what memories slogging chest deep through the muck mosquitoes as big as choppers smell of sulfur in the air i loved it say
4: were you in the core no i didn't think so most people prefer hamburgers made with fresh beef like wendy's the best burgers in the business
1: and actually more recently where i know him from is he played natalie z's dad On one of my favorite series, at least for the first two seasons before it went way downhill, The Detour. And I just remembered that he is a recurring
3: player on one of my new favorite shows that I like to stream on HBO Max, Succession.
0: Don't worry, folks. When season four comes around, we are going to do Going Places for Alan Ruck. Okay? We're gonna do Going Places.
3: We're just waiting for when season four is gonna drop. And they are working on it right now, from what I understand.
0: And let's be honest, we all want to sing that Going Places theme song.
3: Hell yeah. So there's your desk clerk. He is overseen by the young manager Clifford Ainsley, played by Richard Mazer. who you probably remember from season two of One Day at a Time. He was also a very prolific, that guy from that thing. If you are a fan of LA Law, you may have caught him in four episodes playing three different characters.
1: Watch out for the elevator shaft. Oh, no.
2: I really don't want to talk about it.
0: Oh, my God! No, Diana Moldor. Don't go down the elevator shaft. Oh, too late. Yeah. <laughs> too late.
3: That, that, that Somebody should have warned her. Yeah, that never gets old. April Green, a prostitute who happens to like Bill, is played by Conchata Farrell, who you would best remember as Berta from Two and a Half Men.
0: And she was also on L.A. Law.
3: We're not playing that clip again.
0: No, I know. We're not going to play the Diana Moldar clip twice. We have standards. We're not going to do
1: that. Right. Speak for yourself. I really don't want to talk about it. (laughs)
3: Another prostitute, Susie Marta Rocket, is played by Jeannie Lanero, who you would probably remember playing Lucy Mancini in two of the three Godfather movies. Sadly, she is no longer with us. She died at the age of 60 in
0: 2005.
3: No. Before The Godfather, she was... She was all over the place. She was in Chico and the Man, all of the
1: family. Is it fair to assume that she may have been the illegal immigrant prostitute? She is the illegal immigrant
3: prostitute.
1: Not often we get to say illegal immigrant prostitute on this podcast, so I just want to take advantage of it.
3: Yeah, okay. What was she again?
1: A prostitute. Who who is? Just sit down. I don't want you to flip out. She was an illegal immigrant.
3: And she was also a...
1: I already said she was a prostitute who was an illegal immigrant. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She she was a prostitute who was an immigrant who was not here legally. Mr. Black. Would have a f***ing conniption over that.
3: All right. Other people on the staff include the wise Charles Bingham, played by Alfreva Jr., who you probably remember as Elijah Muhammad in Malcolm X. That's pretty much the uh, highlight of his career. Then you have Daffy Waitress Millie, played by Gloria Leroy, who was in... What was Gloria Leroy in?
1: She was in a lot, but she wasn't a recurring character in many shows.
3: She was a that woman from that thing, but she played Evelyn, on a 1997 episode of Family Matters. I do not remember the subject of that episode, but suffice it to say, she got around.
1: It's a last season episode. Oh, that explains so, it.
3: It certainly, yeah, wasn't,
0: I, it certainly wasn't the episode with Sherman Helmsley and the stripper that Carl saw at the Boom Boom Room.
1: No, no. I, all I saw when pulling up the episode she was on The first word I saw is Stefan. And it's like, oh, no, it's a Stefan last season episode.
0: Stefan Urkel. Stefan,
1: Stefan. I think Stefan digs. That's why I say Stefan. But whatever. Jaleel White's uh, alternative character, whatever you want to call it, doppelganger. And we talked about that previously on it lasted one season too long.
3: And then you have 13-year-old Runaway and Tomboy Jackie, played by Robin Bolson. This is pretty much the apex of Robin's career. So perhaps not 13 at all, but... I don't know where I pulled 13, But she was a young tomboy and a runaway. The grouchy old codger of the group, Mr. Morse, was played by Stan Gottlieb. He played a hobo in Slaughterhouse-Five, but this was his final starring role. And then you have... A middle-aged man named George, played by Lee Berger, who is known for a whole lot of uh, characters, playing Abraham Lincoln in an episode of Star Trek. I wish I was kidding him not. He also played Joseph Anders in 58 episodes of Dynasty.
0: I'm sorry, I was muted, but yeah, everyone remembers that episode of Star Trek with Abraham Lincoln.
3: Abraham Lincoln just randomly shows up in Kirk's viewfinder. Didn't make any sense, but it was Star Trek. And it was the last season of Star Trek. So, Oh yeah, Fred, at this, po- at Fred this point... Fred Freiberger was willing to try anything.
0: Gene Roddenberry was like, screw it, just do anything.
3: And it's like, Gene Roddenberry was like, screw it, just do it. And Fred Freiberger was like, okay. And then we have Gordon, who is George's live-in boyfriend, played by Henry Calvert. He was not in much. I mean, his greatest role was in 1976, All the President's Men, as Bernard Barker. And finally, an eccentric woman, Mrs. Bellotti, with a never-seen psychotic son, played by Charlotte Ray. I want to say this is the last role she had until Different Strokes. And we all know what happens with Different Strokes.
0: Well, Different Strokes was until 78, 79, wasn't it?
3: Basically. But That's... I think this this might have been her last regular series before until... Different Strokes.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, this is her last regular uh, role before uh, Edna Garrett on, uh, on Different Strokes and then obviously eventually Facts of life and also Let's say it. Hello, Larry. Hello, Larry. And if you've never seen Facts of Life or if you've never seen, well, obviously you've heard of Hello, Larry if you've been around here long enough. If you've never seen Different Strokes, you're like 12. And the thing is, if you want to go even further back, she played Al Lewis's wife, Sylvia, on Car 54. Where are you? What? What? Yeah, she was Al Lewis's wife, Sylvia Schnauzer. I love Car 54. Where are you?
3: I bet
1: you. S- start with Ed Gwynn. Go down to Joey Ross. And you've got Nipsey Russell. And you've got Charlotte Ray. What's not the love?
3: Yep. I, oh, and if you are of a certain age, you remember her as Molly the Mail Lady on Sesame Street. Again, if you are of a certain age, Greg, Mike, and I, not of that age yet. So that's your crew and or your guests at the Hot L Baltimore. So we all know what would happen when they're in a play, but when they're doing this sort of thing on the regular, what kind of shenanigans, what kind of hilarity would ensue with these guys, I wonder? Let's
1: find out. Boy, I wonder what shenanigans occur when you have two prostitutes and a gay couple.
3: And an old conjurer, a runaway, and an eccentric old lady with a psychotic sign. And
1: and actually, I should also add, yes, I know we went through a lot of people there, probably close to a dozen people. That was the opening to the show. They had 10 different credits, uh, at least, for the uh, people in the hotel that may be not even including your James Cromwell and -hmm. your staff. It was a long, long sequence. And you had two people generally on the screen at all times For, for, for the credits that is. So let's see what shenanigans happen at the hotel Baltimore.
3: All right. Episode one, Susie's wedding. Susie announces she's going to marry a Hollywood producer. Because, you know, she's here illegally and she has to marry somebody, so why not marry for love?
1: That doesn't happen nowadays.
3: She's not marrying for love, is she?
1: She's a prostitute. What do you think she's marrying (laughs)
3: for? She's a prostitute who's in the country illegally.
1: Yeah, she's not marrying for love.
3: Yeah. play the role of the producer is Philip Bruns, who is best known as Frank Sabo in Flashdance.
1: We've talked about him in the past. We yeah, have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we have. He was on an episode of the Ghostbusters. He was on the episode The Flying Dutchman.
3: He played the Flying Dutchman. Then no, he played Scrogs. There was another person who was he's not known enough to play the villain in an episode of the Ghostbusters
1: but he's known well enough to be on this
4: podcast.
3: Episode two. Millie's beau. Millie's new boyfriend turns out to be one of Susie's clients. Uh-oh! Uh-oh! Uh-oh. The residents try to figure out a way to tell Millie. Oh, boy. Playing Ronald Shelburne, the lucky stiff, is Phil Lee, who is we've talked about
1: him plenty of times, mm-hmm. plenty of times. He played a god on A Day in the Life, one of the funniest episodes of Night Court you will ever find.
3: At Vern, he also played Howard Guff in an episode of previous entry Polchak, the Night Stalker.
1: Yeah, we've talked about him a couple of times. Mm-hmm. By no means is this the first time we're going to talk about him. And honestly, it's probably not going to be the last time we're going to talk about him. Mm -mm. Spoiler, this isn't even the only time we're going to talk about him this week. He's going to appear on the next episode.
3: Episode three, Susie's new job. After she loses her job as a dance teacher, Susie decides to complain to the White House. Well, it's Baltimore, so she would be really close by.
1: Doesn't Gerald Ford have more important things to do?
3: Like, you know, healing the country from the Nixon age,
0: and trying to avoid being eaten by wolves.
3: Guest on this episode is John J. Fox, who plays a colonel at the White House. He was the warden in Assault on Precinct Thirteen, episode four. The rent increase.
0: What'd you say, Chico? The rent
3: increase. The
0: rent increase.
3: We're gonna gonna increase
0: the rent. We're going to increase the rent. Want to see rent? I want to see rent.
3: I want to see rent. Ainsley's mother generates further problems for the Hotel Baltimore when she issues an unexpected rent increase to the tenants. Believing he can dissuade her, Ainsley instructs them to ignore his mother's order. However, he fails to halt the plans as promised, leaving everyone on the verge of being evicted onto the mean streets. The residents are moved to protest with a highly imaginative maneuver by the Unseen Moose. I believe Moose is Pilates' uh, psychotic son.
1: That's what I was going to say. Probably the son of uh, Charlotte Ray's character.
3: And we have a name in this episode playing the role of A.J. Horn, Dick Van Patten. The famous Van Patten family being represented on the podcast once again.
1: I was waiting for Greg to make a Timothy Van Patten reference. Uh, Oh,
0: yeah. Timothy Van (laughs) Patten. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, in all all fairness, though, Timothy Van Patten is now a talented director.
1: Yeah, and Vince Van Patten is on World Poker Tour. He's been there for 20 years, it seems. Oh, yes. And we all love Vince on World Poker Tour. And, of course, we did talk about Dick Van Patten personally on When Things Were Rotten because he was Friar Tuck.
3: Totally nailed that one
4: morrow, Abbott! Good morrow!
3: Welcome, Abbott! Good morrow! Hello, Abbott! Good morrow! Hey, Abbott! Oh, I hate that guy! Episode 5! George and Gordon! George and Gordon's latest spat promises to blossom into a hotel-wide fray. The famous lovers quarrel. All of a sudden, it becomes everyone's problem. Episode 6! a date. Just to prove he's not afraid of anything, Bill agrees to take April out on a date. I could totally see that. Bill, the loving sort of glue that holds everything together, and April. A prostitute he could have an honest conversation with. wonder what that would be like. Anyway, episode seven, the deportation of Susie. Oh, boy. Susie is threatened with deportation as an undesirable alien. So apparently she's run out of customers. I don't know. Uh, play the role of Officer Arnold on this episode. Uh, I believe we might have talked about him before, Mike. We friend. have,
1: oh, we have, we have Ram Jarvis. He played two roles, Mr. Merton and Mr. Simon, on probably one of the top five shows we've done. Get a life. He was on the pilot, uh, and also the pilot then turned into Terror in the Hell Loop 2000, and he was also on the Paperboy 2000 episode. And unfortunately, he wasn't on the episode where Brian Doyle Murray and Chris eat that alien. One of the funniest things ever.
0: Oh, guess what I'm holding?
1: Get a life. The, aliens the aliens Get a life. Oh, you got the series. I didn't know that.
0: I got it a while back. Yeah. Oh, that's great. The, we read it says on the top right here, the special non-anniversary edition.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that they've only released it once because I got it like 10 years ago when it first came out. I paid way too much for it, but darn it, it's a great show. It is a great show. As we'd say around here, you're likely to spend more on less. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Episode 8,
3: Mrs. Bellotti's Boyfriend. Residents at the Hotel Baltimore realize that love has come to one of their own. Mrs. Bellotti is falling deeply in love with Chapman Packer, the most wonderful guy in the world. But there's one significant hitch in their blossoming romance. Mrs. Bellotti's first love is her son, Moose. And everything hinges on a very successful meeting of the two men in her life.
1: Yet we don't see the two of them meeting.
3: Because we never see
1: Moose. Well, also, he's not credited in this episode.
3: Playing the role of her new boy toy is Peter Turgeon, who you would remember as Marcus Ratbone in the original Airport movie.
1: The only real credit of Worthiness is for 12 episodes, he played a doctor and then the ghost of that doctor on Dark Shadows, the first season, so that means it probably reruns on Pluto TV's Dark Shadows channel every now and then because I think they only show like the first one or two seasons.
3: He's more of a stage actor. Anyway, so, Episode nine, Bingham's Con. Ex-convict Mojo Thompson arrives at the Hotel Baltimore in search of his old buddy Charles Bingham. Mojo soon works his magic on the residents enthralling into those wild tales of his former shenanigans. The problem is, in the process, he also happens to divulge a few secrets from Charles's past, things Bingham would rather keep dead and buried. Playing Mojo Thompson is Ron O'Neill, famous actor there. Uh, You probably remember him as Bella in Red Dawn. And also... Whitley's father, Mercer Gilbert, in four episodes of A Different World. Sadly, no longer with us. He died at the age of 66 back in 2004. Episode 10, Historic L Baltimore. Ainsley's mother has successfully targeted the Hotel Baltimore for a wrecking ball, hoping to save the building from an untimely demolition, which needs one, by the way. Clifford manages to have it declared an historic landmark. However, the scheme quickly backfires. With the building now more valuable than ever, a Japanese corporation decides to purchase it, but the unlikeliest of residents may prove to be the hotel's ultimate savior. And a whole lot of names in this one, playing the role of Mitsubishi. If we haven't talked about him on this podcast, we will. John Fujioka. He was in Tales of the Gold Monkey as Toto.
1: He was also on a couple episodes of recent entry, The Munsters* of Today.
3: Yep, I, I knew he talked about him. I knew it. He was all over the place in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Fun fact, here's Chico's Nito fact of the day. He was originally credited as John Mamo on nine episodes of Mikhail's Navy, where he played a Japanese officer of some sort. And that is Chico's neato fact of the day.
2: Oh, neat!
3: But that's not even the biggest name of the cast. The guest cast, that is. Playing Travis, Bernie Capel. And if you don't know who Bernie Capel
1: is, you're beyond tell. Second reference to when things were rotten because he was a regular on that episode eleven. Ainsley
3: loves April. Danger registers at the hotel Baltimore in the form of an armed gunman who invades the lobby and threatens the residents. His most formidable opponents turn out to be the unlikeliest of saviors, the hooker April. Having witnessed April's terrorism, Clifford Ainsley suddenly sees her in a very different light. He falls head over heels in love with her, giving April a rare opportunity to be treated like a queen.
1: And the gunman isn't credited, so I think that means we're just going to move on to episode 12.
3: Yep. Episode 12, Susie's Problem. Susie, depressed about turning 30, feels like she's wasting her life after contracting a sexually transmitted disease.
0: Susan, what do you have to say?
1: <laughs> I knew it, yes, I was waiting for it. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. I was waiting for that to happen. I just love that little pause that Greg put there. We didn't have an immediate Susan, it was a delayed Susan. The delayed Susan. That was great.
3: The only thing we're missing now is the unprompted Susan. Anyway, playing the role of Susie's priest is Charles White. Mostly, he was known as an actor from Your Mother's Stories. Most notably, The Edge of Night in 1980 and As the World Turns in 1979. He was also on Car 54, Where Are You? In an uncredited role as the aide to the mayor. While we're on a Car 54, Where Are You? kick. Which, let's be honest, we should be. And the final episode, Ainsley's Secrets. Evie, a woman from Ainsley's past, arrives at the Hotel Baltimore and issues a shocking accusation. She claims that Ainsley is the father of her child.
1: Uh Uh-oh. There's your unprompted
3: Susan, Greg. I believe we can mark that off the Susan St. James bingo card now. However, Ainsley vehemently declares his innocence. Ultimately, he agrees to settle of the problem with the payoff to Evie. Although he couldn't possibly be the father, the reason he couldn't forms the crux of Ainsley's secret. Do we ever find out what Ainsley's secret is? No? Okay.
1: Hey, playing the role of Evie in this episode is Samantha Harper. Not really known for anything uh, in terms of acting. She was married to Bill Macy from Maud. She's actually his widow. That's the show.
3: And we never find out what Ainsley's secret is because ABC canceled the show.
1: Yeah, I've got some information about that uh, regarding the show and its eventual cancellation. Going through my usual uh, newspaper searches, I have a story here from March 2nd of 1975. Viewers give Hot El Baltimore Cold Shoulder. This is from William Hickey, television and radio editor. It looks as if the law of averages is finally caught up with Norman Lear, the whirlwind producer of several hit primetime television shows. His sixth and latest effort, Hot El Baltimore, is going down the ratings drain. The much-ballyhooed and somewhat controversial show has failed to attract an audience of sufficient size to ensure its viability since it debuted at midseason and of late has tumbled to the bottom of the Nielsen ratings ladder. The best it has done is I'll oh, listen to this number. I think any TV show would kill for this number. Nowadays, the best it has done is a 25% share of the audience, which during the week uh, in question was good for 35th place on a list of 60 shows rated last week. Hotel Baltimore was ranked 58th among 62 shows, and its share of audience had slipped to 21%. Lear, of course, has no thoughts about quitting on the show, for he has never subscribed to the sports world's ancient bromide that you can't win them all. While no one inside or outside the industry can predict The lifespan of a network television show, Hotel Baltimore, has all the outward appearances of a program bound for electronic oblivion in the not-too-distant future. The show simply has too many major weaknesses, as it is presently structured, not the least of which is a cast of characters who are unlikable to an alarming degree. As far as I'm concerned, it is not only those characters the script calls for, but the actors themselves. They irritate beyond words and arouse little, if any, sympathy. Granted, it is not an easy task for anyone to introduce 10 unfamiliar faces to television literally overnight, but I find myself able to tolerate only the teddy bear hotel owner and the oft-confused Colombian hooker. The other members of the cast annoy in varying degrees, ranging from slightly to grossly, representing, as they do, exactly the types I would dread spending an hour with at the local pub. Apparently, not too many of the nation's viewers care to spend time with them either, for when your show drops into the 50s on the Nielsen charts, it means a mass tuning out is taking place all over the country. Lear's insistence that the average man should rush to embrace the oddballs of society is not all that bad a philosophy, but the vehicle he uses to enforce it is ill-conceived and ill-timed. Ill-conceived in the sense that the characters presented and the words and actions they employ are bound to create just the opposite effect among the citizenry. There is too much whining self-pity, not to mention questionable indignation, to arouse viewers' latent nobility. Lear's timing, so precise with all the family, is also off the mark by several years in that the straits of the world are overburdened with their own problems and have little room left for citizens of society's nether class.
3: Well, apparently, the hot L of Baltimore had a big fan in the person who is running the network at the time. That would have been Michael Eisner, and Norman Lear actually explains this in this interview from the Academy of American Television.
2: I don't have uh, time to talk about all of your shows, but obviously, what not- do you mean? <laughs> not all of them were hits. Uh, your batting average would have been; it would be good enough to have gotten you into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, but still, you had some uh, some what we would call. No, uh,
4: we we had some we had some real misses and right. some near misses. Clinkers,
2: and but some that yeah. were uh, sort of credits you wouldn't
4: mumble. I mean, they were good. No, no, shows. I mean, I I Hot uh, El Baltimore was a noble effort. I mean, I not not a noble effort. It was a terrific show. Michael Eisner, to his everlasting credit, was running a- ABC at the time. Michael loved the show so much, and he's such a passionate guy. He came, he told me three shows in, Norman, this show will never be picked up. The salesmen don't like selling it. It was about two hookers, if you recall. Two of the central characters were two prostitutes. In a, uh, in a, Hot, hot El Baltimore was... Hotel Baltimore, but the E had fallen out of the sign. The origin
2: so, of this property was, was a, it's a Broadway play. It was a
4: play, yeah. Lost the author's name. Uh, and we bought the rights to the play. And, uh, and And you used a stage actor in the lead, I believe. James Crom- Gin, Cromwell? Ginny Cromwell was one of the leads. Uh, the two women have become... Conchita... Conchita Farrell. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, Richard Masser, great He's actor now and now president of the
2: Screen Actors Guild,
4: Right. Uh, who was
2: also in One Day at a Time.
4: He was also in One Day at a Time, right. We had a, we had a terrific company of actors and, and, and two guys who played two gay guys who were living together. So we had two prostitutes, two gay guys, in this hotel that was readily understandable. as the place where all these people might live. We had a wonderful character. Whose son was called Horse, and he was some offstage character in some room upstairs, and she was always coming. <laughs> Charlotte Ray was the mother. I love the show. And, and, and Eisner loved the show and knew early on. But th- what I wanted to say about him was he never missed a taping. Despite the fact that the show would be off his network, he never missed a taping.
1: Michael Eisner attended every taping. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean he must have liked that. I mean he's obviously done pretty well at the mouse but yeah well that that's well this would have been what, well he was what was
0: he at Paramount yet or was this he when was he at, worked
3: He was at ABC before oh. he was at Paramount
0: Okay that explains it
3: yeah Yeah he went to Disney from Paramount and started to run Disney the way he ran Paramount which is why it succeeded so far in the 80s and then fell off in the 90s, especially in the parks division.
0: Oh, yeah. And especially when he did those straight to video sequels to the animated movies.
3: Yeah. And I'm, if I may quote Kevin Berger of The Funkland, he had a bit of a unique strategy. It was called jealousy. Worked for him in the 70s and the 80s, the 90s, not so much.
1: As we do on just about every episode, I think we need to take a look at the schedule. Look at the schedule, and the schedule I think paints a picture here in a number of ways, actually. Because Hotel Baltimore was scheduled for nine o'clock on Friday nights, right? On Friday nights on CBS. Generally, it was a movie, a movie or a special of some sort. Not, not any sort of regular programming. But on NBC, there was a little show that just started its rookies campaign called The Rockford Files. Ooh, but, but also, I'm going to give maybe a little credit uh, to the scheduling here. After Hot Hell, Baltimore was actually The Odd Couple. Now, admittedly, this is 75, so this is like the last season of The Odd Couple, but still... You've got the odd couple following Hotel Baltimore.
3: You know what was right before Hotel Baltimore? Another short-lived series, Colchak the Night Stalker.
1: Yeah, we talked about that previously.
3: So, not a very good night for ABC those Fridays.
1: No, actually, I'm gonna disagree with you because at 10 o'clock on Friday nights was a little show called Beretta.
0: Oh, Beretta.
1: Yeah, we don't talk that much about uh Robert Blake here. No, no, no. But uh still, Night Stalker, Kotek Night Stalker, beloved, probably one of the biggest cult series of all time. Odd couple, what needs to be said about the original Odd Couple with Tony Randall and Jack Klugman and Beretta? I mean, those are you know really good shows. It's just then you have this sort of weak link in the middle of it. But also another thing I think that contributes to this, again, doing research on the schedules, not every affiliate showed Hot L Baltimore either at nine o'clock Eastern at its usual time slot or at all period. Because taking a look here, I see that both Akron and Cleveland's ABC affiliates preempted Hot El Baltimore at least once each in the yep. thirteen weeks. And actually, the Cleveland affiliate showed an episode, believe it or not, eleven thirty on Sunday nights after the late news. They really hid that episode. I got I'll do you one better,
3: Mike. the Baltimore affiliate, at which which at this point would probably be wJz. I'm not mistaken,
1: didn't air it at all. For some reason, I'm not surprised. I really am not surprised. I was thinking you're going to say that. Maybe because it casts a bad light on Baltimore, the city, or something like that. I'm really not surprised.
3: Yeah, if you wanted to watch it and you were in Baltimore, you had to tune into WJLA, which by then would have been WMAL. So.
1: So you had to get it out of D.C., I assume?
3: You had to get it out of D.C., yes.
1: So you couldn't watch Hot L Baltimore
0: in the city it set in. No. Amazing.
3: Amazing indeed. And interesting, too, because before this show, Norman Lear had five solid hits. All in the Family, Stanford and Son, Maud, Good Times, and The
1: Jeffersons. Well, like I said from that news article, you know, you can't win all of them, but still, and I believe this is actually mentioned in the, uh, the, the piece, uh, regarding, um, Michael Azure being a fan. If you look at his success ratio, his, his percentage in baseball, he'd be in the hall of fame immediately. I mean, really, how many misses did he have? Maybe three, AKA Pablo, uh, this show and, Oh, what we're going to cover next, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Well, he had more than three. Uh, he did have misses Like, Hanging In, Not That One, All's Fair, The Nancy Walker Show, and 704 Hauser, The Revival of Bone Family.
3: So, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all there is to say about the hot L Baltimore. I mean, it was CD for its time, and so was the TV show but it wasn't really revolutionary as much as his uh, previous entries. For five straight series, Norman Lear gave us comedy to laugh at and to think about. For this sixth time, the first time on ABC with Hot L Baltimore, Norman Lear gave us this thing on TV. Well, there's always a room available at itwasathingontv.com where you can find all of our previous entries, all of our remasters, our minisodes, our live watches, and, of course, the occasional presents episode. And, of course, we also want to give a special shout-out to our friends over at The Place to Be Nation for hosting our weekly drops. What's on tap this week, Greg?
0: We got the episode of Rescue 911 that aired after the 1990 MLB All-Star Game, and we got Mr. Merlin. Yep.
1: Yeah, it was Uh, great.
0: And I think somewhere along the line, I will release the episode of uh, the Personal Injury Court live show we did with Home Run (laughs) Rue. Home Run Rue. Why would you not release
1: that? That was a great episode.
0: It was, especially the mascot costume. At the end, just in its full glory.
3: All I can say is, that man had a cannon on him.
1: 29 miles an hour. Who throws big
0: boxes of peanuts or bags of peanuts? They don't have the mini sized bags of peanuts? It's not economically
1: feasible. No! No! Uh
3: Uh-uh. Well, don't forget, we're also on all social media at It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook, who has the E already blocked off. So it's Factbook. We're there at It Was a Thing on TV podcast. So look for us there. And of course, we're on YouTube where you can like our videos, subscribe to our feed, and hit that notification bell. where you can keep up to date with all of our entries. For example, on this show, we like to say that every failed thing on TV has a story. This show, perhaps, has a story which may or may not be true, but we can't corroborate it because seemingly all of the episodes have been lost.
1: Not that there were many episodes to begin with, but I think the only media we have out there is we have a promo. So we're really going to be flying by the seat of our pants this next episode. There's not even an episode guide out there.
3: There's just one promo. And you will hear it, and so will we, next time, right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you
2: for the next one. wow From Norman Lear. Hotel Baltimore. Creator of All in the Family, Sanford and Son, another comedy milestone. You cheat! Why would I cheat, you abominable old wretch? Because you are black! What did you say? I said you are black. I'm red. You moved the wrong chatter. Right, hot L. Baltimore.